All right, grab your Bible this morning and open it to Acts chapter 19. Uh, we are starting a new series um, at our church. I'm excited about this series, and I'll get to the title of the series in a minute. We're, we'll begin in Acts chapter 1. And, uh, but I want to ask a couple questions as we get started, because we've been asking ourselves this big overall question, right? What do I believe? And believing is super important, and we're going to talk about that all summer, and I'll get to that. But let me ask you question, three questions really quick. Number one, do you know what you believe about Jesus? Do you know what you believe about him? That's a really important question, because we have to... We have to know what we believe about Jesus so that we can get to the second question, which is, can you formulate that in a conversation with someone? See, because what you believe can be formulated into a conversation, right? And that's true for anything. If you have a sports team that you like, if you like them a lot and you talk about them a lot, you can easily transition that. If you're an engineer, you can easily talk about the house that you're building, right? Whatever it is, if you're a math teacher, you can probably easily talk about math. You can, because you're familiar with that subject enough, you can formulate that subject matter into a conversation. So that's why we're asking ourselves this question, what do I believe? We want to know what we believe about Jesus so that we can formulate it into a conversation that we need to have with someone so that they can believe in Jesus too, which leads us to the third thing. Where, where would you go in the Bible to talk about the deep things of God and the essentials to believe about our relationship with Jesus? Where would you go? Like if somebody said, hey, I, I, I'd love to just sit down and open the Bible with you. I'm not very familiar with it. Where might you go to talk about some things about Jesus? Well, there's some great spots to go. You could go to one of the gospels or you could go somewhere. But we're going to also talk about a book all summer that is another great place to go, and that is the letter of Ephesians. The letter to the church in Ephesus is what the New Testament calls the book of Ephesians. And it's a great place to go because the whole thing is really about Jesus. And it's all about how to live for Jesus and what you, you and I are going to encounter in our relationship with Jesus. So it's a great spot for you and I to figure out who Jesus is, what we believe, be able to formulate some good theological concepts and ideas that turn into a conversation with someone and helps us understand, hey, this is a good place that we can go in God's word. So we're going to talk about the book of Ephesians throughout the summer, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 19. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Ephesians. First of all, this letter is profound. It's one of the really, really great letters put together in the New Testament. It's theologically deep. It's very deep theologically, actually. But it's also extremely practical. So it's really deep theologically, and it's very practical at the same time so that you and I understand that our theology helps us live for Jesus. It's also a great place to expand our thoughts about God, about the world, and about how to live. It's very helpful to discover what we should believe about Jesus. So we're going to go nearly kind of verse by verse throughout the summer. And maybe it would be better to say kind of like concept by concept through the book of Ephesians and get through it in, uh, throughout the entire summer. 
And I'll get to the title of our series in just a minute. But before we get to the book of Ephesians, which which I want to look at this morning in verses 1 through 14 of chapter 1, we'll get there in a minute and we'll make some good points to it. We probably should begin at the first place that we see the city of Ephesus and the people of, of Ephesus in the Bible. And that's in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul is taking a missionary journey and he's sharing Jesus with all of the cities that he's coming in contact with. Literally every city that he can come in contact with, um, he's sharing the love of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ with those cities and with those people. He's been hanging out in Corinth for quite a while and hanging out with some of his friends. And there's another really prominent pastor and a really great voice in the New Testament that's in Corinth as well. And his name is Apollos. And because Apollos and Paul are um, sharing the gospel in Corinth and they've done a pretty good job, Paul feels like it's, it's able now, it's at a point where he can kind of hand it off to Apollos and he can go on and find a new place to talk about Jesus with some new people. So that's what, what Paul does. And in Acts chapter 19, I just want to read a couple of verses from this chapter just to give us a little introduction to how the church got started in Ephesus so that when we jump into the letter of Ephesians, we have a a little bit of a background about how this church got started. So in in Acts chapter 19, it says this, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Now, um, just so you know, um, Corinth is kind of on this this island, it's actually kind of like an isthmus, um, in between Italy and modern day Turkey. That's right where Corinth is. And Ephesus is right on the coast of what we would say is today modern day Turkey. So right on the western coast of Turkey is where modern day or latter day Ephesus was along with several of the other cities in the New Testament that we often refer to. So Paul takes a boat over there and he goes through the interior and he arrives at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So let's stop there for just a minute. So the first thing that's interesting is Paul runs into some other people that believe in Jesus. Now, how they came to believe in Jesus, we really don't know. Obviously, at some point, somebody went to Ephesus and talked to people about Jesus there. And several of the people came to believe in Jesus and and Paul runs into these people and starts hanging out with these people. And it's a fairly small group right now. Um, And the first thing that Paul talks about, interestingly, is the Holy Spirit, like what we talked about last week. And Paul asks them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asks, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were 12 men in all. Now let me just stop there for a minute. And I want to point something out. We talked about this last week, but I just thought it would be a good bridge to this week and a good point of emphasis. Last week, we talked about how important the Holy Spirit is in our lives and how you and I, as the disciples of Jesus Christ, 
We need the Holy Spirit in this day in which we live. And in particular, we need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit working through us in a very, very powerful way, like the Bible talks about when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what Paul wanted for these individuals. Now, it's interesting that it's the very first thing Paul talks about. That when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, Paul says, the very first thing I want to talk to you about is, are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to you when you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit? I just think that's interesting that Paul could have talked about anything. He could have talked about a myriad of things in in the Old Testament or the New Testament. But the first thing that he jumps to is, are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? That's important. It's an important thing to understand that that's exactly where we're supposed to be as followers and believers of Jesus, walking and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul does that. He lays hands on them. He prays for them. And they get baptized in the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues and they prophesy. Verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, urging persuasively, about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. So this is the beginning of the church in Ephesus. Now it has a pretty, kind of like, it's like a rocket, isn't it? It has an awesome launch. There's just a whole bunch of powerful things that are happening in this church. Actually, we would call this a revival. That's what we would call this. This is revival. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They begin to operate and move in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're studying the Word of God every single day, it says in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So they're going to church and they're hanging out and they're discussing the Word every single day. Miracles are happening regularly. The demon-possessed are being set free. Demons are coming out of people. People are being healed miraculously. And the gospel is being heard and preached everywhere in the province of Asia. So all over western Turkey and the seven cities that are mentioned in the first three chapters of Revelation, those are all the cities right in there. Smyrna, Colossae, Ephesus. Uh, Philadelphia, Pergamum, all those cities right there, they're all in this explosion of evangelism and this explosion of what the Holy Spirit's doing in Ephesus as Paul is preaching the gospel and then other people are taking the gospel to other cities. Like one of the things that we know is Epaphras. Epaphras is is the young man who got discipled by Paul. He got saved under Paul. He ends up taking the gospel to Colossae which is just a city about 50 to 100 miles away from Ephesus. And then Paul eventually writes a letter to the city of Colossa, which is the book of Colossians. 
he actually never went there. Epaphras went there. At this time, when, when all these cool things are happening in Ephesus, Epaphras leaves Ephesus and says, I'm going to go take the gospel to Colossae. And Paul says, go for it. And so all these really cool things are happening. So this is kind of the birth of the church in Ephesus. A really cool thing. And I, and I would just say for us, amen, do that at Cheney Faith Center too, right, God? Like, that'd be cool. Do that here too. We'd love to see you do awesome things like this right here in Cheney at Cheney Faith Center. Now, turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. This takes us to the book of Ephesians. So Paul is hanging out in Ephesus. We saw that he stayed there for about two years. And then he eventually leaves and goes to Jerusalem and hangs out there for a while, has another missionary journey, and eventually ends up in his life heading to Rome. And somewhere along the way between Jerusalem and Rome, Paul ends up in jail about the early 60s, AD 60s. And he writes the letter to Ephesians to the church in Ephesus so that they could be encouraged about who they are in Jesus and so that the church would have the, the words of Paul and understand what it means to live in Christ. So the book of Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus during this, this time when they need an encouragement and they need to be built up. And, that, and we get that book, that letter today, and we get to look at all of these great things that Paul says about Jesus and be encouraged today in 2023. And so that's what we're going to do this summer. We're going to be encouraged by the book of Ephesians all summer, and it's going to connect greatly to the question that we've had all year, what do I believe? And we'll get to that in just a minute. So let's pray, and then we'll look at Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14. Jesus, thank you so much for what you did in Ephesus, for what you're doing in the world, for what you did in this church. And um, thank you so much that we have these words to be encouraged with today. And I pray that you would help us to be a church like this, that we would be a church that is seeking after the fullness of your spirit, that we would be a church that longs to send people out in the name of Jesus to see the gospel go to other places. And Lord, help us to be a church that is just on fire for you, that we see the miraculous and we see the spirit moving. And Lord, we're, we're nearly 2,000 years from this letter being written, but we still get to be encouraged by it today. And, and I just want to say a special prayer right now for that, that city that is still there and the cities that are in Turkey right now that um, they need the gospel too. And they need the gospel to be presented to them once again afresh. And so we pray that you would send missionaries, that you would send people, and that you would raise up a mighty church once again in Turkey that could see the gospel of Jesus Christ move forward in their land among their people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We all said, amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Let's read it together. And then I'd like to point out some things that we can see from this section of verses. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So right away, we know who the author is. The author is Paul. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, letters written to the people of Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, which is an easy jump to you and I, how this letter can encourage us today in 2023, because we also want to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So these things also can apply to us 
today, right now, as we try to be holy people that live for Jesus right here in Cheney. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now we're going to call our summer series In Christ. That's the title of our summer series in Christ. We're making that our title because as you can see, that phrase was used 10 times as a reference in just this small section. The phrase in Christ or in him or through him or in the one we love. Those are all terms, phrases used to describe our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now this phrase, in Christ, many theologians, and I believe this myself, it's the major theological principle and concept that Paul is trying to communicate with the body of Christ in his day. He's trying to help every single follower and believer in Jesus Christ to understand the blessings and the benefits and the life that you have when you are in Christ, when you're in relationship with Jesus. When you're following him and living for him, you are in Christ. Now, this is a prepositional phrase, the phrase in Christ, and it describes who we are. There's also another prepositional phrase in verse one that Paul uses. He says to God's holy people in Ephesus. So he, he describes this. These are the people that I'm writing to. And he's writing to the people in Ephesus. He's had great love for this people. He hung out with them for two years. He spent his life with them. He spent his ministry with them. And so this is what a prepositional phrase does. It, it describes things. So Ephesus is where they reside. It's their current location. It's their home. It's where they're doing life. It's where they have their existence. It's the society in which they're learning and growing. It's where they've learned the philosophies about life that they believe in. Their means of financial welfare come from this city. 
Their identity has been partially formed based on the people that live in the city in Ephesus. The same is true when we apportion that to Jesus in this phrase, in Christ. It's an identity statement. This phrase is an identity statement. It's about you and I as followers of Jesus Christ formulating and embracing a new identity because we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new must, become, must come. Romans 12 says, tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our life. So we embrace a new identity, and that new identity is that we are in Christ. Just like people lived in Ephesus, we are now in Christ. When we believe in Jesus for the first time and we begin to have a relationship with him, we are in Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means that we reside in Christ. It means that he is our home. He is how we do life. He's our existence. That our new society is his church. That the, the people that we are doing life with are his people. We're learning his truth. Our, our philosophies about life and how we come to them change because we are found in Christ. We find our financial trust and welfare in our relationship with Jesus Christ because he is our provider. And our new personal identity is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ because we live and move and have our being in Christ. Our identity is no longer in the world. It's in Christ. We're no longer focused on our self-esteem and what we want. We are focused on Christ's esteem, what Jesus has for us. See, in Christ is the phrase that Paul uses to describe our relationship in Jesus in a very, very deep way. Now, Paul will use this expression and this phrase in several different ways. Let me share the three different ways that Paul will primarily use this because we will see these three ways used a lot through the book of Ephesians. The first way is this, that in Christ, we'll sometimes refer to what God was doing through Jesus for the world. Okay, so there will be times that this phrase in Christ is describing what Jesus was doing for the world, like our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, our eternal life. All of those things are found in Christ and they are what Jesus was doing for you and me and for the world. It's, it's the way that the phrase is used to describe Jesus as the instrument of God for a specific purpose and plan. Sometimes, secondly, sometimes this phrase will be used to describe the relationship in a singular way or the church and how that term is used in Christ is talking about our, our relationship with Jesus or with the relationship with the church and how that relationship is working. And then the third way that this phrase in Christ will be used is to describe the way that we live with one another. Or maybe we should say the way we should live with one another. Phrases like, speak the truth to one another in Christ. In other words, because you are in Christ, these are, these are the new relationships that you're forming in Christ. They're the relationships in the church of Jesus Christ. 
And in these relationships, there is a way that God calls us to live. And so we will see that throughout the book of Ephesians, the way that you and I are called to live with one another. And it will often be linked to this phrase, in Christ. So there'll be times that in Christ refers to uh, the way that God specifically used Jesus, the way that it, Jesus relates to our personal life, and then ways that you and I are supposed to treat one another and the world as a result of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's what's really cool. As we look at this book of Ephesians and as we study it and read specific verses, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that this phrase, in Christ, almost every single time, this phrase will reveal and require you and I to believe something. Almost every time, the phrase, in Christ, is linked to something that you and I are called to believe about ourselves, about Jesus, about God, about the Holy Spirit, about the world around us. So that's why this book in particular and this phrase in Christ in particular becomes extremely important for you and I to answer the question, what do I believe? Because almost every single time we see this phrase, it will ask us to believe something about Jesus. Now in particular, let me show you six things this morning that this phrase asks us to believe about ourselves and about Jesus as you look at verses 3 through 14. Now, you know, um, Troy made reference this morning that I, I did go a little bit long for service. So if generally my messages are three points long. So what do you think I can do with a six-point message? Right? Now, I'll, I'll try to. I, I've, I've shortened them just for you. But let's start at verse 3, because verse 3 launches us into the context. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And then this phrase, what is it? In Christ. Now, in this verse in particular, there's a word used twice, and it is the word blessing. Blessed. Blessing. How many of you like blessings? Me, I do. How many of you like to get new clothes, new car, new house, four-hour chair, whatever? Like you love blessings, right? And we love blessings. We love to be blessed. But this morning, we're not going to talk about little blessings. We're going to talk about big blessings. So little blessings? Let me tell you, what's a little blessing? A little blessing? New shirt, new phone, new car, new house, new job, new haircut, new glasses. Those little blessings. We're going to talk about big blessings. Now, what are big blessings? Huge blessings that change your entire life, your entire existence. <laughs> the way you think, the way you feel, the way you operate as a person, and your entire eternity, those are spiritual blessings. See, here's our challenge. I'll talk about it now, and then I'll talk about it at the end. 
Our challenge is this. As followers of Jesus Christ in the year 2023, in the modern world, living in one of the richest countries in the world, our challenge is this. We have physical blessings everywhere around us. And we all say, what? Amen to that. Like how many of you are thrilled that you have the blessing of living in the United States? I am. I love it. I love living in the United States. It's great. But one of the challenges of being a Christian who lives in a very wealthy place in the United States is what? Distraction. Distraction. So our, one of our biggest challenges as a follower of Jesus Christ are the spiritual blessings that you and I have that distract us from living in our spiritual blessings and concentrating our life and our thinking and our daily walk and our daily life in the spiritual blessing instead of in the physical blessing. Now, can that be done? Absolutely, it can be done. And so this morning, Paul's going to launch us into six. There's actually a couple more, but I just did six. I think you could actually pick about 10 if you wanted to. But there's six in particular really huge spiritual blessings. And Paul launches us into them, and I want you to see what they are. The first one is being chosen. The first blessing that we see is right in verse 4 when God says, He chose us in Him, in Christ. In Christ, you and I have been chosen. And then it says, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. This is cool. So God chose you before the creation of the world. Now, how many of you... Um, you remember elementary school and you remember picking teams for something and you remember that whole awkward moment where you have to be chosen for a team. You remember that? Like some of you are probably thinking that was a really awful time for me because I was always picked last or that was a really good time for me because I was always picked first. Whatever it might be, just remember that awkward thing about being chosen. And here's what I want you to remember. God chooses you. What God is saying right here is he, is he chose you to be on his team, to be in his family. Now, here's what's incredible. When did he choose you? When did he choose you? Well, it's obvious that he must have chosen you after you were a really good person. Right? That's when he would choose you. Because that's when we choose people, right? If I'm choosing a team to play basketball on the, on, out on the playground in fifth grade, who am I choosing? I'm choosing the five best players that I can. I want the best people. So that's when God chooses us, right? When we're at our best. No, it's not when he chose you. He chose you before you were born. In fact, he chose you before this planet was born. Now, I want you to think about that just for a second. That if God was choosing you to be in his family, he wanted you to be in his family. Before he created the planet that we're on, then why do I get so freaked out about everything? <laughs> why do I walk around like a worry wart? Anxious, depressed, frustrated, negative. 
If this is all about being in relationship with God, and, and before I was even born, he said, I want you in my family. If that's how he feels about you, and if that's how he feels about me, then that helps me live a certain way. It helps me walk through life with a certain understanding and process things that happen to me in a much more healthy way because I understand God is with me. No matter what, he's choosing me. Now here's what's, here's what's really good because we're gonna bring this full circle as we look at everything this morning. This is God's part of our relationship with him. Okay, this isn't, this isn't our part of our relationship with God. This is God's part of the relationship with us. So before the creation of the world, God was saying to humanity, I want you in my family. To all of us. And in particular, he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that every single one of us might be saved and have the option to understand that God chose us to be in his family. Now, in particular, just a quick rabbit trail, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us to live a life that would show the world who Jesus is. And the way we do that is by living a holy and blameless life before Jesus we don't get caught up in the affairs of the world, in the physical blessings of our world, in, in getting caught up in, in the, what the world's doing. We live outside that because we're living a holy and blameless life. The second blessing is adoption to sonship. It's in verse five. It says he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So we have been adopted to sonship. Now, you might be saying, well, Pastor Mark, help me out with this because I'm a woman and I, I don't understand how I, I, it's going to work for me to be adopted to sonship. Well, let me explain how you want to be adopted to sonship, even if you're a woman, and how all of us in the room want to be adopted to sonship in Christ. Now, like it, like it or not, this is somewhat of a gender statement. But it's a gender statement that is completely inclusive. In fact, it's a powerfully inclusive statement when you apply it to your life in Christ. And you don't think about it in a worldly perspective, a physical blessing perspective, but you think about it in a spiritual blessing perspective. So here's how it works. In our world, the way that we have done things as cultures and as societies for a really long time is the distribution of wealth would go from a father to what? The eldest son, right? That's how for a long, long time, we've had the distribution of wealth. That's how it's worked for a long, long time. And we, we did that as mankind. That was just a way to actually help wealth go to the next person and somebody couldn't steal it. And sometimes we get hung up on that and we say, well, if I'm a wooden woman, I wouldn't get distributed wealth and stuff like that. That's not actually how it worked and that's not actually true. What actually, this was just kind of like a legal thing. So a dad would pass down his finances to the eldest brother. And then the eldest brother, what was his responsibility to do with that wealth? to share it with the brothers and sisters. It wasn't his opportunity to hog it all. In fact, if he hogged it all 
and he didn't share it with his brothers and sisters, he would actually be shamed culturally for the rest of his life. So this idea that, um, oh, it's such a chauvinistic thing, it's not really a chauvinistic thing, it's just the way that you had to distribute wealth in some way so that it wouldn't be stolen from your family, and that's the way they devised to do it. And it makes a bit of sense practically when you think about it, because the firstborn son would get what the father had. He would get all of the wealth to share with the rest of the family. Now, why is that a good idea? Well, what if you didn't have a secondborn son? What if we said, well, it's, it's going to be the secondborn son. He's going to inherit all the wealth. Well, what if you didn't have one? Then you'd lose everything. Now, what if you didn't have any sons and you just had a firstborn daughter? Well, in those cases, many laws and many societies, it actually would get passed down to the eldest daughter. But most of the time, they got passed down to the oldest son just because that's how it worked. But that's how it works with physical blessings in a physical world. That's not how it works with spiritual blessings. But Paul uses the illustration of sonship, which everyone in the room would have understood. And we understand today that, that, that blessings and wealth and prestige and your name all gets passed down most of the time to sonship. And what Paul is saying is when you are adopted into the family of God and you begin to understand your spiritual blessings, here's what you need to understand. That regardless of your gender, male or female, regardless of your race, Jew or Gentile, regardless of your status, slave or free, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you are the firstborn son. You have all the rights, all the privileges, all the benefits, all the blessings, all the authority, all the grace and hope and eternal life and everything that you need to live as a follower of Jesus Christ is yours in Christ. Everything you need for your life and godliness is found in Jesus Christ regardless of your gender, your age, your race, your status. When you are in Christ, every spiritual blessing is yours. That's good news. The third blessing is redemption. Redemption. Now Paul defines what he means by redemption in verse 7. He says, in him, can you say in him? So in Christ, in him we have redemption. And then these phrases, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's Grace. Now, this is good. Redemption has been poured out. Now, it's poured out through Jesus' blood. Not through your blood, not through my blood, not through anyone else's blood who's ever lived on the planet or will live. Through Jesus' blood on the cross. Now, redemption is a Greek word. It's a, it's a great word. I want to tell you about it just because it's such a cool world, word. It's the word apolutrosis. It's actually a combination of a couple words, but the root word of this is the word lutron, which means to ransom. 
It's the word that somebody would use to pay someone else's ransom when they had been kidnapped. And so what Paul is saying here is in Christ, we have been ransomed through the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sin and the riches of God's grace. So Paul actually labels the price for our ransom. The price for our ransom is the blood of Jesus. You say, well, who was my kidnapper? I, I don't remember being kidnapped. We're all kidnapped, aren't we? We're kidnapped by sin. We've all been kidnapped. We were born into it. We were born kidnapped in our sin. But the blood of Jesus ransomed us, set us free from death. We now have eternal life. We're no longer subject to the ransom, to the price of our sin, which is death. Jesus paid for it on the cross when he died for our sins. See, we are in Christ when we believe in the cross of Jesus in which his blood was spilled for our redemption, for our forgiveness, and the resurrection in which he conquered death for our eternal life. And the best part is this is in accordance with the riches of God's grace, not our own. Not our own grace. How many of you are somewhat like me? Sometimes I'm not even good at giving grace to myself. <laughs> I sure am glad that the grace of God is not apportioned to me based on the way I would give grace to myself. How many of you are not very good at giving grace to others? Aren't you glad that God's grace is apportioned to you differently according to God's grace instead of your own? Remember when Nathan the prophet asked David, David, the judgment on your life because of killing Uriah, you get to pick, do you want God's grace or do you want the people's grace? And what does David say? Oh, give me God's grace every time. Because I know the people will devour me. And that'd be us, right? We, do, we just devour them. We do that really well, by the way. We devour our leaders really well. All you have to do is watch CNN or Fox News. We do it every single night for a half an hour. When you get done, you just want to puke. Because all we've heard is devouring our leaders, frustrating, angrily, mad. They're all stupid. They're all wrong. Blah, 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 blah. That's what we do with our grace. We never apportion it correctly. That's why, praise God, our redemption is given to us according to God's grace. The fourth blessing is he made known to us the mystery of his will. Now this one's kind of interesting because um, Paul just kind of says it and then he moves on. He just says he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which is purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. Now, that's great. That's awesome. Aren't you glad for the mystery of his will? But what's missing here? Well, what is it? Exactly. Well, you didn't say what it is. Like, that's cool. That's great. What an awesome blessing. But what? What? It's not there. What is the mystery of his will? Now, the hard part with that is we don't have anywhere else in this 
in this context that tells us what the mystery of his will is. So what is Paul doing? He must have either talked about this earlier or he's going to talk about it later. Which do you think it is? It's later, of course. It's chapter 3, verse 6. So go to chapter 3, verse 6. And in chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says this. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. There it is again. That phrase, in Christ Jesus. So the mystery of his will is this. How many of us in the room are 100% Jewish? Okay, nobody. So this, this mystery applies to every single one of us in the room. We're Gentiles, right? When you read the, the Old Testament, who did God choose? He chose the family of Abraham. And so the family of Abraham are the original chosen people of God. And that's why the Jews feel like they are the chosen people of God. And that's because they are the chosen people of God. They're not walking in some half-truth. They are the chosen people of God. Now, they took it too far, didn't they? And they took it too far because what they believed is we are the chosen people of God and you are a Gentile and you are not. And so you're excluded and you, you should not have the promises of God. And that was not true. That's not even true in the Old Testament, but it's especially not true after Jesus because Jesus died for all of us. So what Paul is saying here is that the mystery of God is that the Gentiles, all of you that live in Ephesus, all of you that live in the province of Asia, you now get to understand that you are chosen. You are adopted to sonship. You are redeemed. There's an inheritance waiting in heaven for you. The peace of God can be in your life. The salvation of God can be in your family. All of these things are just as true for you as it is for the Jewish people of God. The mystery of his will is that salvation came through Jesus not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. The fifth blessing is included. The fifth blessing is that you are included. Now, this is where I believe the theology takes a little bit of a turn. Before, Paul talks about kind of large generalities where you and I are chosen. All of mankind has an opportunity to be chosen be predestined, to be set free, to be redeemed. All of that is true for every single person who ever lives on the planet. But then Paul gets specific. And he says, but now I want to tell you how you get included in Christ. So all of these blessings are out there waiting for anybody, right? Anybody on the planet right now can choose to, be, to believe in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean that they're chosen or predestined or living in their adoption or redeemed or set free or forgiven. None of those things are true until what? Until you are included in Christ. So how do I get included in Christ? How do, I, how do all these spiritual blessings become a part of my life? They don't happen until you're included in Christ. Well, how do I get included in Christ? Well, verse 13 tells us. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, you were marked in him 
with the seal. Now here's what Paul says. You became included in Christ when two things happened in your life. Two things had to happen in your life for you to be included in Christ. And actually it's three, but I'm leaving the first one out because the first one is that Jesus had to die on the cross and come back from the dead. Like that's kind of the no-brainer. That's the context. That's the overarching foundation, the umbrella that we're all living under. So I'm kind of leaving that one out. Like it's, it, and Paul leaves it out too. He doesn't even put it in the context. But two things have to happen. The first one is that you have to hear the message of truth, the gospel of salvation in Jesus. Somebody told you. Somebody told you about Jesus. Maybe that was the church you were attending. Maybe that was a mother or father. Maybe it was grandma or grandpa. Maybe it was a friend. At some point, somebody in our life started telling us about Jesus. So the first thing that has to happen for someone to be included in Jesus is they have to be told about Jesus. Now, in the room, raise your hand if you have someone in your life that you know that you would like them to believe in Jesus. Raise your hand if you have someone like that in your life. All right, great. So almost everyone in the room, a couple of you didn't raise your hand. I don't know what that means. But um, that means that all of us in the room have someone that we would like to, we'd like them to believe in Jesus. And so my next question, you may not like this, is this. Are you telling them about Jesus? Because you're it. You're probably it. You are the one that knows about Jesus. So you naturally have to be the one to tell them about Jesus in a gracious and kind and loving, speaking the truth in love way. You have to first hear the message of truth. But then second, you have to believe. You have to believe. Now this is our part. Remember we talked about God's part? What did God do? He chose, he predestined, he poured out his grace, he redeemed, he shed his blood, he came back to life. Like those are all the things that Jesus did, that God did. We can't do those things, but all of that God did. And all we have to do is believe. Acknowledge it. So there is a small part in our relationship with God in our salvation process that is our part. And we'll get to this in, later in Ephesians that we are saved by grace alone. Like we'll get to that. But that, there's a small part that is our part. And our part is we must believe. And we must keep believing. So the first part someone does for us. Someone talks to us about Jesus. The second part is our part. It's our choice. We have to choose to believe. Now, this is where this comes full circle to our question, what do I believe? What we understand is believing is a powerful act. What you and I do in our brain and in our mind and in our thinking and in our heart is an extremely powerful thing. It changes our life. It changes eternity for us. Believing is essential and it's huge. Believing also gives us all of these spiritual blessings that you and I want to have in our lives. 
All of that happens. All of that being included in Christ and all of those blessings happen when you and I choose to believe. Now, when we choose to believe, when we make that leap of faith and we, ch- we say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I want him to be my savior, we get the sixth blessing. And the sixth blessing is that we are marked with the Holy Spirit. We are marked. It says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, let me ask you a question. Which do you like more? Somebody giving you money or paying a bill? I'll give you a choice. Who in the room likes people to give them money? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you like paying a bill more than getting money. Okay, all right. So this is what what Paul is saying. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. He's, He's like free money. He's something you get for free when you believe in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you get marked by the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside of us and he changes us from the inside out. He is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He also guarantees all of those spiritual blessings that we had above. So while we are waiting to go to heaven, the Holy Spirit is that deposit, that guarantee in us. Now you can see why it's so important, why Paul said, you have to believe in the Holy Spirit because he's your deposit. He's your guarantee. He's your down payment. So if you don't know who he is and how, how to live for him, then you're not living in your home. You're not living in the fullness that God has for you. Listen to how H.W. Honer describes what it means to be marked, marked with a seal, marked in the Holy Spirit. He said, the sealing ministry of the Spirit identifies believers as God's own and thus gives them the security that they belong to him. Paul mentioned that the believers had heard the good news that God saved them in Christ when they believed. At the time of salvation, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This seal denotes identification of ownership. A present day example would be a rancher who brands his cattle to indicate his ownership. So the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit identifies that those who trust in Jesus Christ and God's provision of salvation through Jesus Christ are now owned by God. This seal of the Holy Spirit also serves as a deposit or down payment, providing a guarantee of more to come. It is the initial installment of the believer's future inheritance. As one's adopted into God's family with all the accompanying privileges, we have an inheritance from God that qualifies us to live eternally in his presence in heaven. The initial installment of the Holy Spirit is a little bit of heaven in the believer's lives with a guarantee of much more yet to come. Would you stand with me? Wow. Being in Christ is pretty awesome. There's a lot there. 
This is only the first 14 verses of the chapter of the letter. Now these spiritual blessings, as you can see, they are way better than earthly blessings. But just to bring it full circle, this is the challenge for you and I as we walk out of this room. The challenge for you and I as we walk out of this room is we live in a culture that primarily promotes physical blessing. In fact, we're living at a time and in a culture that doesn't even want us to believe in the spiritual blessings of Christ. And so what you and I have before us as we walk out of the room is the challenge to concentrate, to focus our lives on the spiritual blessings instead of the physical ones. To live in Christ, not in ourselves, not in our own flesh, not in our own selfishness, but to live in the spiritual blessings of Christ, to live in our new identity, to live in Christ's esteem, not self-esteem. This is the challenge. This is what we'll talk about all summer. Now here's what's great. No one and nothing, no power can take away your spiritual blessings. If I got a new truck this afternoon, I could drive it home and put it in my driveway and somebody could steal it during the middle of the night and I'd never see it again. Kay and I could go on vacation and somebody could burn all of our stuff in our house to the ground. And it would, there it would go. All our physical blessing gone. But as believers, here's what we believe. Like we stand in front of our house burning down and just go, man, I sure am glad I'm in Christ. Because that's what I'm concentrating on. I'm concentrating on my redemption. I'm thankful that I'm chosen, not that my fishing pole is burning up. See, that's the connection that, the, and the disconnect that we often get caught up in in our world because we're so focused on spiritual blessing instead of spiritual blessing. And when that happens, when we're so focused on the spiritual world and the spiritual blessings, we also don't share Jesus with those around us. Because all we're focused on is, is my life, what I'm doing, what I'm doing right now, what I want to do, what I need, what, what I need to get tomorrow. Instead of focusing on being and living in Christ. Now the other good news is this. No one, nothing, no power can steal your salvation. No one can smash your redemption with a sledgehammer and break it. No one can take away your eternal life. Not even death can take it away. In fact, death sends you into it. That's why scripture says that we embrace death as Christians. Not like in a weird, like I wanna die. But when it happens, we're not like, ah. We're like, all right, I'm old, I'm 93, I've lived a good life and I'm gonna die. Yay, can't wait to see Jesus. Because we get it. We get that death is the doorway to eternal life. By the way, that's the whole understanding of the Chronicles of Narnia, if anybody's wondering. Like you, you enter this closet door into a whole new world. Like that's it. That's what being in Christ is. Your adoption, it doesn't rust. It doesn't fade. Can't get eaten by moths. Mice don't break in and eat your redemption or take away your adoption. And our inheritance, it's out of this world awesome. 
And I mean, literally, it's in heaven. It's, it's not here. It's, it's literally out of this world. But here's what's really cool. Aren't you glad that your inheritance doesn't fluctuate with some market? Aren't you glad that your inheritance in Christ is not based on what the stock market's doing tomorrow? It's secure. It's done. It's good because it's not in your power. It's in Christ. That's what this means. And that's why it's important for us to believe it, to live in it, and to choose it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these ideas about being in Christ. I pray that you would help every single one of us that believes in you to walk out this door ready to live what it means to be in Christ. To understand it, to focus on it, to choose to live for Jesus, not for ourselves or not for this world. To live in the spiritual blessings, not the physical ones of our world, even though they're nice to have. Help us to focus our lives on the spiritual blessings. And just because it's really important to ask, I want to ask this question. Are you 100% for sure that you're in Christ? Like you can know. You can know. If you've said yes to Jesus in your life, you've invited him into your heart, you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you've confessed your sin to him, you're in Christ. Let the Holy Spirit in. But if you're not, if you've never done that, I want to encourage you. Let today be the day. There's no reason to leave this place not believing in Jesus. Not experiencing the spiritual blessings that you have because of Jesus. So I'm just going to ask, do you want to be in Christ? you want to believe in Jesus for the first time and say yes to him and say, I want to choose Jesus as my Savior and my Lord and I want to live for him all the days of my life and I want to live in those spiritual blessings way more than I want to live in these physical blessings. If that's you this morning and you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? If there's anyone in the room. Let me just follow up question for us. Maybe you'd say, Pastor Mark, I've been living in the physical blessings way more than the spiritual ones. And I acknowledge this morning that I, I need to focus on those spiritual blessings more than the physical ones. Could, I, could you just pray that my life could change and I'd focus on who I am in Christ more than the identity I'm trying to capture from this world because it's just not working for me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'd, I'd love to pray for you this morning. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I see hands going up all over. All right, let me, let me pray for you. Jesus, it's so important for our, our identity to be in you, for our lives to be focused on you and your kingdom, on your word and what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And so I pray right now that you would 
these people that raise their hands, that you would help them to live in the identity that they are in Christ. That they would live in those spiritual blessings, that they would find their true identity and personhood in you, Jesus, not in this world and not from anything in this world. And that, Holy Spirit, you would fill them afresh this morning. That they would start a fresh new week walking and living in a strong and healthy relationship with you, Jesus. We give you thanks and praise that we can do that because we live in Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We all said, amen, amen. Well, I want to encourage you. We're going to have some prayer partners up here. If you'd love to pray about something this morning, we'd love to pray with you before you go. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.